I think it's self-imposed to be honest. It's a lot of it's self-imposed because you think, you know, you can't be cool and and be and be smart without doing what the cool kids do. Uh, and and I, thought, I found myself again just hanging with the wrong crowds and, and again trying to be trying to be cool. And sometimes and me and my brother were both in this together had this mindset. We were trying to hide how smart we were. Hey guys, real quick, Dr. Dale here. All right, so I want you guys to do me a favor. Before you start this episode, please hit that pause button and click subscribe or click follow or click like, whatever it is. We work really hard to bring you guys this good information to uplift the entire community. And we really appreciate you guys supporting our efforts and our work. Love you guys. Enjoy the episode. I want them bad like a daddy, yeah. Only do it like flogger, yeah. I'm kicking flavor, no saga, yeah. Ay, I like them blues. I might go Janet like Jackson. I got the margin, yeah. It's all about progression. Life is like a blessing. Everything a win, loss is like a lesson. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, ain't no time for stressing. I've been really stepping. Ooh, ooh. Yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Wanna go get it, stop playing around. Really got on racks, ain't playing around. Black man, white coat, shit, we up. What is up, fam? This is Dr. Dale, the author of How to Raise a Doctor Wisdom from Parents Who Did It, author of Pre-Med Mondays, author of Black Men and White Coast, and author of the Dr. Doc Children series. And of course, you listen to the Black Men and White Coast podcast, the place where Black clinicians have the platform to share their stories with listeners like you. Super excited about my guest today. We're going to get into it uh, here in a second. I'm going to introduce you to this fine young gentleman who was uh, on the path to do some big things in the field of medicine. However, before I do that, you already know I've got to update you on what's been going on in the world of black men and white coast. Man, so first of all, today, so we're actually recording this on a Sunday evening, and this morning I get a text from uh, my division chief, and he says, congratulations. I'm like, congratulations for what? He's like, man, front page Dallas Morning News, and I, and I, I, still, I still didn't go grab a copy of the paper. I should have got it. But uh, lo and behold, people send me pictures, man. There we are, front page of the Dallas Morning News for the Black Men and White Coast documentary. And for me, that was huge because you know, we've been in the papers before, we've been on TV, we've done all that stuff before, and that's cool. But for them to put you on the front page, that's a completely different level. And what that really says is that they really appreciate and you're feeling what you're trying to do for society. Um, so I really appreciated that. So shout out to the Dallas Morning News for, for recognizing us and um, and to Anna Kushman for the great article you wrote on the Black Men and White Coast documentary. Really, really appreciate it. And with that said, let's let's hop right into this, uh, this, this episode. Yeah, I have got my guy, my man, um, and I was got to shout out to Duke on this one because he's a Duke and I went to Duke. So we both trained the same residency program. Um, super excited to introduce you to this young doctor, Dr. Marius Chukura. What is going on, my friend? How are you? Hey, what's going on, man? It's a pleasure to definitely be on here, you know, seeing all the great things that you've been doing with this movement, this initiative. So, you know, it's an honor. It's really an honor. Absolutely. The honor is mine. And I'm going to tell the, um, the listeners. So, man, <laughs> we were supposed to do this episode. A few weeks back, and I felt really bad because well, it was a Friday night. I think Friday. I think right. Yeah. Uh huh. Yeah. So it was a Friday, and um, I'm sitting there like trying to trying to get ready to leave work so I could make it home in time, and we can hop on this podcast and record it. And somebody comes knocking on my door and they say, "Hey, Dale, I've got a guy. It's a COVID patient. We've got a COVID patient, and he's got bilateral pneumothoraces. So that means both of his lungs collapsed from COVID. Um, can you help me put some chest tubes in him? I'm like, oh man, I gotta go record with with Marius." But I can't leave this patient here with his lungs down, so I got to go put chest tubes in. <laughs> so that's what happened that day. I, I, so I apologize for that, man. I apologize for, for taking your time. Up. It's all good, man. Patient care comes first. I definitely understand. 
Yeah. So, hey, so there you go. Patient care comes first. So for all the um, all the future doctors listen to that, remember, hear what he just said. Patient care comes first. All right. So I'm not going to do too much talking on that. Man, I want to get into your story. I want people want to hear your story. People want to hear, you know, how you got to be a Duke and then, you know, I'm going to spill the beans a little bit. You're going to Penn next year for cardiology. People want to know how you become successful in the field. So the way I do it here, Black Men and White Coast, is we take it way, 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 way back. So I'm going to take it way, way back with you too. Tell me about your parents. Tell me how your mom and dad together or not. Let me hear that part first. Yes, yes, they are. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, all right, so I want to hear this story. Tell me how your parents met. Let's go way back there. How did your parents meet? So my parents, they actually met at a party, uh, believe it or not. Um, both of them, you know, immigrated here from Nigeria for college. So they've been here uh, for quite some time, but they had mutual friends. They met at a party. And actually my dad at the time, it's a story he told me is that he actually had a girl when he met my mom. Oh man, come on, yeah. oh man. Yeah, I know, I know. But, you know, I'm not sure if people, you know, still believe in this love at first sight, that that concept, but he said he saw my mom, he said she, he knew she was the one while he had a girl. So <laughs> it's, yeah, it's, it's, it's tough, but, you know, he put <laughs> my mom on some, you know, relatively friendly uh, uh, demeanor. They exchanged information. Then, you know, after a while, he ended up breaking it off with whoever he was with. And then him and my mom, you know, hit it off. And they ended up getting married uh, back in 1991. Um, and, and initially we lived in the DMV, like PG County, Maryland, uh, Forestville, actually. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Uh, they got married. I don't hear that much anymore. I tell you, when I was out there in um, Durham, where you're at now, man, everything was about PG. Everybody was from PG County. Where are you from? PG County, PG County. Oh, yeah. yeah. I don't hear that anymore, man. Nah, nah, not even. Not even. Uh, it's a whole different world out here today. But um, yeah, so they hit it off, got married. They had me in 1992. Uh, and, and the rest is history. I mean, it came up. And, and you have Nigerian background. I'm sure you understand how, how it is in Nigerian household. You know, it's very rigorous in terms of you know, pushing for academic excellence and, and, you know, a B is a failure in the household. <laughs> so, um, you know, they've always pushed me to be, to be, you know, the top in terms of the classroom. And, you know, so tell me, so, t- so tell me, so they were, um, so they were in America when they met a college party or they were in Nigeria? They were in America. This is all in America. In America. And what was your, um, you said it was a college party, right? Yes. Mm-hmm. Okay. So, um, you know, people say, like, why do you always ask my parents? Says, but, you know, asking my parents, that tells, that tells me, I think, a good amount right there. So that tells me your dad's a go-getter, right? Your dad yeah. sees what he sees something he wants, and he'll go get it. Mm-hmm. Um, and that probably rubs off on the child. That probably, you know, some of that, I'm imagining, you know, might have rubbed off on you, or that's kind of the mentality they would have they tried to put in you. So what did your, um, what did your parents study in college? Were they medicine, or were they uh, science, STEM stuff? Yeah, so my dad actually studied accounting. He's a CPA. Uh, so a finance guy, uh, he, he's been pursuing that, but he actually voiced it to me. He always wanted to be a doctor. He always wanted to be a medical doctor. He kind of sacrificed those dreams to, to pursue something that's a little quicker, a little bit more uh, quicker in terms of establishment of yourself. And, and that would help him kind of build a family earlier on. And my mom, she went to school. Fascinating, fascinating. Let me, let me, let me think about that right there. Cause we get this question all the time, right? All this black men and white coat stuff. Why do we have black men going into the field of medicine. That question always comes up, right? And they're not going to school of medicine because they want to go pursue something that can get them to financial freedom or whatever quicker. Right. So it sounds like that that was that was the case with your dad, it sounds like. It was. It was actually. And, um, so 
So I'm curious, then what do you think when it was your turn? We'll, we'll get down there, but like I, we're on the topic, so I might as well ask you now. So what did you think um, when it was your turn to go for the medicine? Did you consider that? Say, hey, I can go make money quicker or I love medicine. What was your thought process? Knowing, knowing the route your dad chose, what was your thought process? So believe it or not, I didn't know any better at the time when I was going through the whole you know, middle school, high school, early grade school, then pre-med. I didn't know there was a faster way to make money. I didn't even know how long process of medicine took. I was kind of ignorant to it. Um, but my dad always told me, and one thing he instilled in me from childhood early on is uh, delayed, gra delayed gratification is, is that much sweeter. Um, and, and I think it's because of the lessons he learned going forward, he wanted me in a sense to carry out his dream. He always told me I was gonna be a medical doctor from coming up. So it's all I really knew. So to me, it wasn't like there was an option to make money quicker. I didn't even think about that until it was too late. I was too, too deep in already. But uh -huh. so you got brainwashed you. So you daddy brainwashed. Uh, you know, I don't want to say like that, but <laughs> no, like, no, no, that's what you yeah. Yeah. So, you know, by the time I even realized there's got peers coming out of high school and college who are, you know, making the big bucks and establishing themselves early on, um, you know, straight out of school, by that point I've already developed a passion and a, and a hunger and I've already, you know, striving for this end goal of getting that MD and, and becoming a medical doctor. So it wasn't even like I had tunnel vision. Wasn't even thinking about nothing else. So you would say, since how old did you know you were going to be a medical doctor? How old did you want? How old were you when you decided you wanted to be? And how old? How old were you when you, when you knew you would be or could be? So, probably say since I came out the womb, uh, since day zero. <laughs> yeah, my parents again. It's like you came out. You you came out the womb and you snatched a doctor's stethoscope and said, "That's mine." ASAP. Stat. That's the first thing I did. No, but parents really, they, again, they pushed it on me when I was when I was very young and just kind of told me. And that reinforcement, I think, is, you know, critical and, and you know, monumental in my own drive. They always told me. I heard it over and over again. So that's what, that's all I knew. That was the mindset I had as a child. Um, but I think, you know, to the point where it became my own real uh, passion, my own uh, intrinsic drive to pursue this, it actually wasn't until, like, late college, early med school. Believe it or not, that's what I knew. Like this was for wow. me. Yeah, yeah. Um, All right. So what what happened? <laughs> excuse me. And we'll go back to childhood some more. But you know, now we're a little bit in med school. What happened in early med school that made you finally that made it finally click? So it was the it was the clinical experience I was getting in terms of preceptorships. Um, and and really the tailored education that you get in med school because you do all these things like going through the pre-med pathway early on, grade school again, college. You take all these classes, these extraneous classes that you have to take as pre-med requirements, but they're not really focused. They're not really like focused in terms of clinical medicine. They're more so like, I always think about it as a weeding out process. It gives you a foundation, but like you have to pass, like going through biochemistry. I've never used one of those organic chemistry equations since <laughs> I finished that class. Like you don't actually apply it to most of those things in real life. But going to med school and actually learning the tangible um, knowledge that I'd be using in, in patient care and then also getting preceptorships uh, early on at Howard, at least they, they put us in clinics with people who, uh, clinicians who had worked, who've been working in specialties that you had interest in. So my first preceptorship was in an internal medicine clinic, outpatient clinic. Um, yeah. And uh, I started seeing, you know, what a doctor really does on day to day, patient skills, patient interaction. And, you know, they taught me how to take vitals and something I never had learned. I mean, I, I wasn't the kind of person that was a medical scribe or had you know, EMT experience before med school. I literally went in, did a couple of shadowing hours, but 
my first real deep dive in the clinic was my first year of med school. That's when I was like, oh, this is for me. I love this. I can see myself really doing this. Man, so, so that could have gone that could have gone bad for you. You might have got in there and be like, man, this is not for me. This is true. This is also true. Uh, <laughs> I'm just glad it went the right way because you, know, <laughs> you don't want to throw away the grind that, that way in the game. Uh, no. All right, um, so let's let's rewind it back to childhood again. So um, brothers, sisters, what you got? Yeah, so I have uh, two brothers, actually. Uh, one brother is 27. He's a pharmacist. He graduated from pharmacy school, went to Howard with me. I was also my roommate back then. So what are you, are you what, you're 29 right now or so? How old are you? I'll be 29 in two months, 28 right now. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Then my sister, she is 24. She's actually in her last year of law school um, at the University of Maryland. So she's, she's doing her thing. Um, very proud of her. And then my littlest brother, I have a little brother who's 14. Actually popped out as a surprise. We thought it was going to be three of us for, for all of life. And he popped out and my parents just you know, came home with him. <laughs> uh, but here you go. No. Merry Christmas. Right, right, right. But no, nah, he's, he's doing really well. He's in high school. He started his first year in high school in Maryland. And he's thinking about dentistry. He's, he's uh, thinking about um, pursuing dental medicine. And again, I don't know how much of that is my parents kind of in his ear. I don't know how much of that is him looking at his older siblings and saying, I want something similar, but a little different. Uh, but he's he's also really smart. So what do you think about parents being in the ear? Good thing, bad thing? What are your thoughts on that? Great question. Very controversial question. Uh, me personally, I think it's I think it's good to an extent. I think it's very good to really, you know, tell your children something is possible so that they have that that, that concept, that perception that they they can actually, you know, pursue something and make it happen. But you have to be realistic with them. Um, and at the same time, I feel like there's nothing that's really unattainable if you're able and willing to put in the work and you know it's it's viable, a viable path to take. Uh, but at the same time, I think, uh, you know, you should also allow your children to explore their own interests uh, with, within within reason. And again, I think that's the Nigerian in me because of what I went through. But I think uh, it's also good to allow, you know, children to see what, what they have interest in and, and what they are good at and if they're able to actually, you know, pursue something wholeheartedly because they have a passion for it, um, I think that ultimately leads to success anyway. It helps you kind of get to a high point of, um, of achievement within whatever field you pursue if you kind of like have the drive and really are interested in it. Because if you do something you hate, it's that much harder to stick with it. And you might not be good at it ultimately because once you kind of hit a roadblock, you kind of fall off and say, you know what, this isn't for me anyway. Uh, so I think within reason, but children, the pet, children should always be encouraged by their parents early on and, and be told like, hey, I think you can do this. You should look into this. Yeah, I'm with you on that, man. I'm 100% with you on that thing. If a parent, and you know, I got three kids now. So as a parent, if I see something that I think is good for my child, of course I'm going to recommend it, right? If I don't recommend that thing that's doing a bad job parenting, of course I'm going to say, hey, you should consider, you should consider medicine or engineering or law or, or you know whatever right because that's that's just what parents do you, you look out for your kids and it's not forceful like i always say i never felt like i was forced to do anything right but um just something that, that you want to do as, as, as a parent um all right so we, we talked about your, your your dad and i get a sense of your dad what was your mom like was your mom was your mom um did she was she kind of not forceful was she kind of a strong force with medicine too or or was she kind of like, um, hey, just do whatever you feel like? I'm curious to know, is it a two-parent thing or a one-parent thing that kind of pushed you that way? 
Uh, definitely a two-parent thing, actually. I think my dad was a little bit more of the enforcer in the household, but my mom was also, like, you have good cop, bad cop. I had, I had, I had bad cop, relatively decent, okay cop. It was never like a good <laughs> cop. Like, I didn't feel like there was anybody I could, you know, show any wavering to or any weakness to. I didn't, I had to always kind of be on my game and, and come correct. My mom, kind of talking about her background, so she actually went to school for communications. Uh, she went to uh, Central State uh, HBCU in, in Dayton, Ohio. And, you know, she actually got, she finished that, started the job working in social security and she realized it wasn't for her. It, it wasn't for her. And she had that, you know, diversion in her path ended up realizing, you know, she wanted to do something in the medical field. So she actually went to nursing school after working for some years oh, wow. in communications. And and she, uh, she finished nursing school, was a nurse for 30 years, uh, and then she actually just went back to school uh, three years ago to get her NP. So wow, she, yeah, still climbed the ladder. And, and and again, I think that hunger is like contagious and it's instilled in you early on if your parents got it. Um, so my mom, again, she was somebody who I couldn't really bring home things that weren't you know top grades. And they always ask me, you know, I, I come home with a 92%. They're like, where are the other 8%? What are you doing? Yep, I know that. I know yeah, that feeling. Yeah, 100% yeah. know that feeling. Uh, but I'd be more comfortable showing my mom that and kind of giving her an explanation, like, you know, this is what happened versus my dad. It's definitely like, oh, nah, go back and hit the books. Uh, I'll tell you, man, I used, to, um, I used to talk about that all the time. Like, you know, my dad, like, uh, you know, I get 98, where are two points? But, hey, I do the same thing with my kids now. My kids bring home that 99. Son, really? What happens? What? You couldn't, you couldn't just get that last point? Are you serious? <laughs> and the funny thing about it is, yeah, like, I really don't care. Of course, you know, my mind, like, I'll do that now. I'll, go to my, I'll look at my wife and I'll start laughing, right? Um, but I, I want my children to understand, like, hey, like, shoot for the top, right? Absolutely. That's what that is. Um, so what were, what, what were your your things growing up? Um, were you a sports guy? Were you a video game guy? Um, I want to hear I want to hear those, and did those contribute to you being successful um, later on as you pursued medicine? Like, what, what skills could you take from your hobbies as a child? Yeah, absolutely. So I uh, played a lot of video games coming up. Me and my brother were big gamers. Uh, Halo. Y'all playing? We all, Halo? We, okay, okay. We were Halo guys. We were 2K guys. We were Madden guys. Um, you know, anything. Is Madden, is, Madden, is Madden still big nowadays? Great question. I don't even touch games anymore, so I don't even know, to be honest. But uh, I know 2K is. My little brother still plays that, but Madden, I haven't really heard too much about um, man, I had Madden 92 on Sega Genesis. Man, that's when you were born. Oh, so when you were born, I was playing Madden 92 on Sega Genesis with Buffalo. Uh, oh, was, was all Madden, all Madden or Buffalo, man. We were putting in work. Oh, yeah. Yeah, different times for sure. Uh, and actually, thinking about the Sega, Sega was actually my first little system I had. I was playing Sonic all the time. Oh, yeah. Mega, Mega Man, that was my stuff. Um, but yeah, coming up, you know, kind of getting into high school, you know, still had the games on the side, but started getting into more, you know, more sports scenes. So we played, me and my brother, we played um, JV varsity ball all through high school. We actually played rec football on the side before that. But again, parents were so focused on education that my dad was like, you know, you're going to be a doctor one day. I don't want you getting hurt playing these sports. Uh, you know, that's Man, it. I'm, th I'm thinking that we had the same parents. What's going on? <laughs> we might have, to be honest. I mean, yeah. It's a cultural thing, like it's so deep and rooted. There's obviously some exceptions because I had friends who were also Nigerian but didn't have that same restriction. But for the most part, most people I knew growing up had that same type of influence at home. And, you know, my dad, again, he said no sports initially. Um, 
after we finished playing rec football. So I had to actually write a presentation, put together a presentation, a PowerPoint, and get my Latin teacher to call my dad to kind of co-sign why he should let me play high school basketball. He ended up letting me play, and it was all based off of an extracurricular activity that would make me look more competitive for college. Again, <laughs> using sport, you gotta finesse it. You gotta finesse it with Nigerian parents. So he, uh, he ended up letting me play ball, had a great time. I think I learned a lot, grew as a young man uh, on that court with my coach, uh, Coach Book. And, and you know, again, shifting to college, at that point, you know, I was never, I was never good to the point of the college ball, never anything like that. But I think it was enough to, to promote physical fitness and staying, you know, healthy and fit and, and always trying to make sure to stay active on the side. It wasn't until I got hurt playing some rec ball in, the, in what we call the rack at UMBC um, that I said, you know what, I got to take it easy because I don't want to be limping to class on crutches. My brother actually sprained his ankle. He was in a wheelchair for some time, but it was a bad, it was like a fracture slash sprain. He was in a wheelchair with no crutches. We decided we just gonna put it up, hang it to the side, go to the gym, work out every now and then. But we're gonna hit the books hard, be in the classroom, and still have fun in college. So, there you go, man. That's the way to do it. Um, yeah, I had similar things too. It got to a point where I still played, but I don't play much anything anymore now. But you know, I used to play. You know, uh, throughout med school, I played a little bit of residency, but I was the same way. Got to, got to that, just gets to that point where like, man, how worth it is this, right? Mm -hmm. um, you know, because by nature, I'm super competitive on the court. You probably were too, right? It's kind of like, man, I really want to be out here getting hurt, knowing that I got, you know, got to get up and go take these classes and such um, the next day. Um, so all right, all right, let's move shift into college. Tell me, what was, um, what were the college years? Actually, before college years, what was your biggest challenge before you got to college? What would you say your biggest challenge was? So biggest challenge was probably, <clears throat> you know, honestly staying out of trouble. Uh, I keep it real and raw with you and be candid. You know, I was, I was always good in the classroom, uh, very, very focused, very driven, and it wasn't, it wasn't hard to make good grades, to bring good grades home because of what was uh, pushed upon us and instilled in us as children. But, you know, me and my brother, we were, we were some trouble, trouble, trouble children. Uh, probably hanging with the wrong crowds at times and getting caught up in some, in some nonsense, for lack of better words, and that nonsense, you know, almost you know, derailed us and got us in, in situations where we probably wouldn't be able to make it out of high school. Uh, but, you know, I thank God every day that, you know, certain things happened when they did and we're able to learn from our mistakes and our moments and, uh, and push forward. But I think, honestly, that was the biggest challenge. At that point, again, I don't want to sound cocky saying this, but it wasn't hard being like top of the class. It wasn't hard being, you know, getting the grades while doing the sports and and having you know friends in the social scene, it was more so making sure you you stay on the right path and stay out of trouble and, and get deterred from the the, the nonsense stuff. As a, as a young dumb kid, you can easily get influenced by the wrong thing by the wrong things too. So that's fascinating, man. So usually when you hear about the smart kids, the smart kids aren't getting in that type of trouble. So it's right. very fascinating that you were the smart kid still getting in that type of trouble because you know, the, excuse me, the past few podcasts we've done, we've talked to kids. You know, we talk to people about, um, you know, some of them are really smart and they were concerned about not being the cool kids. And that was an issue for them. Um, and this sounds funny, but a lot of times the, kid who gets, the kids who get in trouble are quote unquote, the cool kids when you're young, um, which is ridiculous. But, you know, that's how, that's how kids, that's how kids see this. Right. So how was, it that, how was it that you were the smart kid and also the kid who was getting in that type of trouble? Like, and what, your friends weren't being like, oh, you a nerd, you smart. I think it's self-imposed to be honest. It's a lot of it's self-imposed because 
you think you know you can't be cool and and be and be smart without doing what the cool kids do uh and, and I, thought, I found myself again just hanging with the wrong crowds and, and again trying to be trying to be cool and sometimes and me and my brother were both in this together had this mindset we were trying to hide how smart we were we wouldn't like talk about school or grades and the, the classes that we were in you know for lack of better words were were with a bunch of the majority you know quote unquote and, and they would know you know how we how we did the performed academically but the cool kids weren't really in those classes so we would kind of hang with them on the side and not really talk about school and just do whatever they did to try to fit in trying to be cool quote unquote you know lo and behold the people in our actual classes in the academic scene thought we were cool because of how smart we were and what we were doing in the classroom. They, they didn't care about all that extra stuff. And, and the crowd that we were hanging with, probably their opinion didn't really matter when it came to uh, you know, trying to be cool and fit in the social scene. But at, again, as a kid, you don't know these things. You just kind of go with the flow. And, and also, this is, this is the scary part. You know, even me thinking down the road, having kids, like when you leave the household, yeah, you have values that are instilled within you. When you go out, the more and more you go out and go up that, that ladder in education and school, you have more independence and more influence from your peers and your social scenes outside the household. So a lot of that can kind of conflict with the morals that are still with you within the household. And, and you know, that's when the alternate behavior starts happening. Um, so. Yeah, that's tough, man. So direct, direct message to the high school kid right now who's listening to this. What would you tell the high school kid that's in that situation who is smart, but they feel like they're not cool? What would your direct message be to them? Somebody who was in that situation and now you're you know, about to be a cardiologist. I would tell them that being smart is the coolest thing that you could ever do. Be, being smart is cool. That is cool. Don't listen to people that say that you're a nerd or or you're not you're not athletic enough or you're not you're not doing what the cool kids do. I think being smart, you know, early on in the classroom, it pays off dividends at the end of the road. Because you know, when you get to the end of your whatever you choose to do, it's going to be you that has the last quote unquote laugh, you that that's sitting at that big boss seat that has all the influence and has, you know, their stuff together. And a lot of those people who are quote unquote the cool kids, you literally might not even talk to them or associate with them or even see them ever again outside of those four walls in high school. That's such a small part. So I would just say, I would just say being smart is the cool thing. Like hit the books hard and trust me, it'll pay off. That's okay. good advice. Very, very good advice. Very good advice. Um, all right, good deal. I still think that's like super fascinating that, <laughs> that you know, you were, you were battling with that, but I'm happy, you know, certain things happened and whatever, it worked out for you. All right, um, so tell me about college. How did you choose the college you went to? What was your decision? I, I find it to be a fascinating question. I love it um, because we get moms and so will ask us to give your kids advice about choosing colleges. So how did you decide what school to go to? Because you knew you were gonna, you knew you were pre-med already. So how did you- Right, right, exactly. So. I applied, you know, broadly, um, and and I think what was important to me was, you know, ultimately being close to home, uh, but not too close to home. I wanted a place where I could go and and live on campus, and and not be able to, but I, not be able to have like my parents pop up, or have like the same scene that that I knew in terms of my neighborhood growing up as a kid. I wanted a new environment, but I wanted a place that was also going to set me up for success to pursue medicine down the road. So a place that had a good pre-med program, at least for me, I think kids should always look into uh, schools that have a tailored pathway or 
has known success in putting people in certain positions. So this, were, did you want these things or were your parents telling you, like, were you already at the, were you already, um, did you already have the wisdom to know you should be looking for these things yourself? Or was this guidance you were getting from your parents and your counselor and such to look for those things? So, you know, this is hindsight bias. It's been so long, actually. But I think my parents for sure influenced me. My Latin teacher actually gave me a college prep book that, that kind of mapped out a path to, to get to medicine. That was very helpful. Is that the uh, same Latin teacher that you wrote the um, thing for, for your dad? That you wrote the essay? It about was, it you? was, it was. Man, you must have had a good Latin teacher. Man, may her soul rest in peace. Mrs. Dever, she really like, she invested so much into me, man. And and again, even in high school. So in high school, I was in a magnet program that was uh, for paraprofessionals, like pre-health, but it was more so meant to push people to, towards nursing, physical therapy, those, those ancillary services, if you will, um, occupational therapy. But she told me, you're, you know, you're going to be a doctor. So I want you to do this a little differently. I want you to take extra two years of Latin after school, which I did with her. Uh, take AP bio, do all these things. So she pushed me as well. She's a big influence. Um, but, you know, back to the question that she kind of was in my ear saying, you know, y'all look for a school that does this and that and we'll put you on this path. So she gave me this book that I, I kept and taught me about uh, different things to do to get to med school. And, you know, I think that kind of gave me the maturity as well. Those people being in my ears, influential people to make sure I was looking at schools for the right reasons. Um, but at the same time, I'm still a kid, right? I'm looking for a place that, I'm gonna have a good time. I'm trying to have, you know, potentially a state school that has all the sports and the big social scenes and the quote unquote college party life. So I really wanted to go to the University of Maryland, like big University of Maryland, College Park, where you see the Terps. Um, but I didn't end up getting scholarship money from them. So that's my what year, what, what year would this have been? This would have been 2020, 2009 that I was applying to college. Okay. I started in 2010. I graduated from high school in 2010. Um, and then, you know, I get acceptance for, acceptances from both and in other schools too, but I'm looking at University of Maryland versus UMBC. University of Maryland did not give me anywhere near the kind of money that UMBC gave me. So at that point, my parents come in the picture and they're like, you know, we're gonna pay for your, the difference in your school if you go to UMBC. Uh, at that point, it wasn't a question. I mean, you got no money. <laughs> I didn't even know about loans or what any of that was. I was like, okay, I'm going to UMBC. And I was, I was actually sad. I was actually very sad because, again, UMBC was no, is known to be the school for the nerds. It actually is a school that produces the number one um, amount of MD-PhDs in the country, Black MD-PhDs. Wow. Uh, so, you know, I'm like, damn, this is a school for the nerds. Like, I'm not going to fit in here. Like, I'm just, I'm not going to have fun. I'm going to lose the whole college experience. I went and I had the time of my life. You know, I you're gonna say that. I'm trying to tell you, man. You you just like me, man. I, I had a very similar story. I was talking, so mine was Xavier, Xavier in um Louisiana. Okay. So oh nice. um, I, yeah, yeah, Xavier. I was, I was supposed to. I really wanted to go there. One day for a summer program deal. The Howard Hughes shout out to the Howard Hughes program. Uh, man, made the best friends. People who are still great friends to this day, right? Um, uh -huh. We just had a, had a good old time that summer, and I really wanted to stay. But end of the day, my dad was like, "Hey, this money thing is not adding up," you know. Yeah. Like um, University of Missouri ended up coming through with a, with a with, you know paying my college off. You know, and my dad was like, "Hey, you could you could go to Xavier, come out and and, pay, and have his money, but this school over here talking about they're gonna pay for your school." You know, and one of the things I was like, "Man, I gotta go to Xavier, gotta go to Xavier." But you know, made some great friends, but ended up going to University of Missouri, met my wife. So can't you know, 
hey, it all worked out, man. It worked out the way it was supposed to work out for me. Man. Absolutely. Um, so what was your major? What was your major? Uh, biology, biological sciences, pre-med. Oh, so, you were, so you were boring. You were boring. I was boring. Very standard, very scripted uh, uh, path in, in undergrad. Um, so what, what, what were the... Um, what were your kind of your highs and lows in undergrad then? What were the um what were the challenges you had in undergrad? Uh honestly just like, and this is more so self-imposed again, because uh, you know, not trying to sound like like cocky, but undergrad wasn't really hard either. It wasn't, it wasn't like there's certain times where I would study like a couple hours before a test. And I was still the guy that was on the social scene, still having fun, still partying did with you I did I did I joined a fraternity uh, mm-hmm. incorporate 2013 spring 2013 and that was actually my junior year of of undergrad and actually you know what let me say this this is this is a challenge if you want to keep it in the medical realm I mm-hmm. I didn't know I didn't I didn't have a clear idea of what I had to do when I had to do it to get to med school at least by UMBC standards, because there's something called a Meyerhoff program at the institution. And they kind of like had these special advisors and it was, it was for minorities actually. Uh, oh, okay, I've heard, yeah, I've heard about this. Is that the fellowship deal they do, something like that? Oh, they, yeah, they almost, they pay your full tuition if you go there as a Meyerhoff scholar. They, yeah, I've heard about they, that. They, they require you to do research like every summer. They give you special advisors. They let you, let you register for classes early. And they give you like, you know, all the tools you need to be successful. Again, they try to push you to have the scientist part as, as part of your ultimate, you know, career, push you to be MD, PhD, ultimately, and, and a lot of, or, or a PhD in terms of engineering and other, other realms. Um, but there are some folks that go against the grade and drop the PhD portion of it. Um, but I was, I was a Meyerhoff affiliate. I didn't get into that program. I applied to, I didn't get into it, but I tried to hang around. And the challenge that I'm trying to talk about is more so not knowing what to do, not having the the clear guidance that some of my peers had. Again, mm-hmm. you know, I was, I was I was saying this at some point. I, I didn't even know what the MCAT was. I heard about it coming coming out of high school, but I had no idea what it was until like my sophomore year in, in college. And that's just from hearing my peers talk about it. And saw I saw them studying for it and prepping for it. And I was like, all right, I'm gonna get there. I'm gonna get to it when I have time. But I was still, you know, focused on getting the grades in the classroom. I knew I was trying to join a fraternity, so I, I put time aside for that. So all of my, my fall 2012 and spring 2013 was gone. You know, I joined, I still trying to be on the social scene, but I'm like, okay, it's time to buckle down because I have one more year left in college. I need to take this MCAT. I'm trying to go to med school, so let's make it happen. So I studied for the MCAT. That's kind of wild, man. So, so the kid who came out the womb trying to grab the doc stethoscope didn't know what the MCAT was until that late in the game. That's kind of wild. Yeah. It's, it's fascinating. It just goes to show you that, you know, you, you still got to, you still got to, figure out, know what you need to know. You still got to do the other grunt work that's the non-academic work to figure out, you know, the hidden curriculum. Right, right. The curriculum. right. Exactly. And again, uh, my parents kind of pushed a lot of that on me, knowing that early on, but they didn't even know what the MCAT was. So how was I supposed to know what it was? Yeah. <laughs> you know? Yeah. That, that's, that's, that's real fascinating. Um, and so you were in the social scene, but in college, you weren't doing the troublemaking stuff you were doing in high school, though. No, no, so you kind of, no. I was, so, you, so you grew out of that phase. Yeah, I grew out of that phase, and I knew that you know college wasn't the place to play around. Um, and again, for me, I'm the kind of person where I just need one experience that that you know almost ends it all for me to to never do something again. 
um, never get in trouble like that again. So in college, I was really just, you know, again, I was, I was still doing good in the classroom. Um, I did, I did, I think I failed one exam that I deserved to fail, but I wasn't like out here. How'd like, that feel? How did that feel? Cause you probably never failed an exam. At least you probably didn't never failed an exam before and not many at least. So how did that feel? No, I didn't. I didn't. But that was, that to me was a, a rock bottom. It was a low. I mean, I never, I didn't know what that felt like. So it was an eye-opening experience. And I ended up, I think I ended up with a C in that class. It was the only C I've ever gotten like in my life to that point. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you know, it, it really humbled me. It made me think about, you know, how important my grades are to me. Cause I mean, you know, things being easy to do, sometimes you kind of lose the value of, mm-hmm. of what it means to you. You just kind of do it cause it's natural to do it, but you're not understanding why you're doing it or what it means to you to be achieving at whatever level. So I retook the class, you know, uh, I want to say I retook it the semester I was actually online. I did it strategically when I was pledging. I retook that class and I retook a genetics class too. A genetics class that I had gotten a B in, mind you. I retook that class only because I wanted a stronger foundation. I felt like I didn't really understand the stuff. And then I wanted to ease classes while I was online doing all the extra stuff because I wanted to make sure that my GPA was still, you know, solid. Um, just because of lack of time I had to study as much and end up with A's in both classes. Nice. Um, yeah, yeah. So it worked out. Um, but, but yeah, man, sometimes you have to fail to, to succeed later. Like it's definitely an inevitable part of, of life and, and also the med, the med journey. Exactly, man. So, I mean, to all the, all the pre-meds, high school, whatever, whatever, you know, level of education you're at, you got to hear that, man. Cause some, you know, things going to happen and don't let that be the end of you. Like, don't just say, oh, I failed. I'm done. I can't be a doctor. Right. Cause you know, we get that type of stuff. Kids will get that first back written and they get told that maybe they shouldn't pursue medicine anymore or something like that. Don't let that happen to you. Um, so going back real fast, you were talking about you didn't have the guidance, you know, the MCAT was. Do you not have a, a pre-med advisor? So I did. I did. Um, but they were useless, man. Brother, I'm, no I'm telling you, useless. I, I, and looking back at it. Let me pause your practice and say all pre-med advisors are not useless. He's talking about one specific. No, just one specific individual. one. Just my individual yeah. experience. No, they, they. For me, when I say useless, it was in the sense that they did not, they did not really give me a heads up on things and tell me what I needed to do. They didn't give me a time frame in a sense. They kind of told me what classes I needed to take ultimately and asked me what I was thinking about doing, but they never really told me or gave me the advising part, the, the advice to take this by this point so you have enough time to get this done. That being said, a lot of a lot of my classes, like like physics, I had to take as a pre-med, uh, rec, and uh, you know, biochemistry, which I did on my own. It wasn't a pre-rec at the time, but I did it on my own. I feel like I did all of that at a point where I could have done it earlier and got the MCAT out of the way on time to get a letter of recommendation from my pre-health advising committee at my school. Because I didn't really know the times I'd take these classes to ultimately prepare for the MCAT, didn't even know what time to take the MCAT at the school at the time they had a, a set date to take the MCAT by April of your junior year and if you don't take it by that point the pre-health advising committee cannot write you a letter of recommendation you cannot go through that process wow. and going, yeah. yeah and going to most med schools um they require that they require that letter of recommendation from that committee supporting your application so I just didn't know and my, my advisor didn't really give me that 
that that concrete timeline. So I kind of did things as they as they said. So whose fault is that? Is that is that your advisor's fault or is that your fault? Well, I take I take definitely some of the onus, obviously. That part of that is upon myself not really seeking uh the knowledge. I, I put all of my trust, all of my all of my steps, my footsteps in the hands of somebody else. And and they, you know, I I personally should have taken it upon myself to look into it as well. There's a saying in medicine we have called trust but verify. I feel like I need to really, I, sh I should have cross-checked, did my own research. And again, it wasn't until I started looking around and doing that, looking at my peers around me, running things by them, kind of peeping their moves and seeing what they were doing that I realized I'm a little bit behind the ball. I'm a little bit, you know, behind the game. And that's what kind of, you know, it really put things in the overdrive for me. And I expedited my, my MCAT studying um, knocked out as soon as possible. I knew I couldn't get a letter of rec from the health committee because I took the MCAT the September of my senior year in med in, in undergrad, September. And you had to take it by April of your junior year to get the letter of recommendation. So I was I was at least what was that five five months behind. Um, and folks had taken it before that, but um, you know, I kind of had to start really, you know, digging deep and doing side research to figure out how I'm still going to make it work because my parents- Are you taking gap year or no? So the, the, my advisor in the pre-health committee advised me, they said I had to take a gap year. They told me I had to take a gap year to get that letter of recommendation and to go through the committee and, and, and get things together with my application. Were you like, nah, son? I was, I, I was, that's how, I, that was my response. But at the same time, I was like, what am I going to do? Like, they say I have to do this. I got to do it in my head. I was thinking, you know, how do I tell this to my parents? Like my, my parents are back home. Like you got to go straight. You got to go to school. And uh, I told, I think I mentioned it to my, my dad. And I was like, you know, Hey, have you ever thought about like PA school? Have you ever, you know, heard about PAs and, and, you know, I hear it's shorter and you don't have to do MCAT. Oh, he wasn't having that bro. He told me I was to <laughs> my life. <laughs> I was actually oh, going that. <laughs> I had a not, nothing against PAs. I, I, PAs are very crucial to the to the healthcare. Yeah, right. Right. My dad just my wife and I talked about my wife going that route for a while. That she, um, yeah. but she was she, she wanted to go MD route. But yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, he was just he just wasn't having that. He told me I wasn't serious about life. He said I was too busy in the social scene. I was actually on the African dance team as well back in undergrad. He said, oh, you man, you were that guy, man. You were that guy. Bro, I know bro. I know who you were. I see you on my campus. I know who you were, man. You were that guy. <laughs> Bro, I had I had a great time in college, man. It was a good time. Uh, you remember the dude on stage and, and you're, you know, with the, taking the dashiki off and the, up there with your shirt off and stuff. That was nah, you, bro. No, 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 I wasn't that wild. I wasn't. All nah. right, all right, all right. That's a decent. I'm gonna go back. I'm gonna go back and find some footage, man. All right. Oh, the video was scattered <laughs> on YouTube. God forbid anybody find it, but but yeah, man. So my dad just told me like focus on the wrong things, and he told me like he said these words out of his mouth like you stay on this path like. Like you're not gonna make. I can't. I can't envision you making it. And those words hurt, man. It was like yeah. your parents' disappointment at times. And this was just from a comment on an alternate route. It was enough to really push me and motivate me to, you know, get on my stuff and 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 figure this out. And also, like I was an RA on campus, so one of the people in Res Life told me, you know, have you ever thought about just doing your own research and and seeing if there's another way to go about this? I think that's what I needed to to do it and and you know i started looking online and seeing there's a lot of schools that you didn't actually need a pre-health advisory committee letter 
but in substitute of that one letter, you needed like four letters from professors, like teachers you had in undergrad. Let me ask you real fast. So did you tell your dad that you might have to sit out a year when you said the PA thing or you let that part out? Oh, oh, God forbid I left that part out. The gap year was, <laughs> he would have slapped me on site, bro. <laughs> the gap year wasn't an option to him. Actually, what he said, well, this is what happened. I, I brought it up to him saying, they said I couldn't apply until until uh, the April of next year after I graduate because they won't give me this letter. But there's these different programs I can do that's like pre-medical school that almost, these are post bags, mind you. I was kind of sitting that to say, it's almost like an early application in med school. I was trying to twist and shift and that's it. So in his mind, I'm still going to med school, right? Um, and, and he actually started suggesting Caribbean medical schools for me. He was like, no, you need to go to med school. Like, I know I have doctors, mind you, he's an accountant. So he's like, I have clients who are doctors, they went to the Caribbean to their school and they're doing okay now. Like you need to find a way to make this happen. He made me put in an application to one of those schools. I don't know if it was St. George's or, or, or America or some, something like that, but I ended up, you know, doing my own research on the side saying I wasn't, I was not trying to do that. And, and I realized there's schools that did again, take that letter or take those letters multiple and substitute of that one letter. Uh, Howard being one of them. Um, so Howard was on the application list. I applied to other like 14 other schools. And there was a point actually my advisor, this is not the pre-health committee, my actual advisor, personal advisor told me, not only did, that, did they recommend a gap year because of the MCAT timeline, but they said my GPA could be more competitive. I wasn't you know, the most competitive from what they're used to seeing people apply with. I had a three six coming out of undergrad, three wow. five. Uh, you know, GPA, sciences, three, six overall. So I was like, and she, they, she, they had told me, you know, you should probably aim for a three, eight, three, nine, but postbacks can help you if you, if you get a 4.0 with that. It's almost like a guarantee. I'm like, dang, also another set of discouragement. Um, yeah, this is nonsense, high. man. That's nonsense. So, I mean, so people listen to us. Yeah. Go for a 4.0. Of course, aim for a 4.0. Go always try to get all A's, but Man, don't let don't let people start coming and telling you that you know a, a three six is a solid 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 GPA, right? So that's what I thought, but honestly, at the time, it, you know, hindsight bias. Now I can say that, looking back, and and you know, I was on the admissions committee at Howard for four years, so I saw what kind of applicants were coming through, and I saw what their stats looked like. But at that time, when I was in that seat, and again, putting all of the influence and power into other people's hands to kind of direct your steps without taking some onus on yourself and doing your own research and, and figuring things out. When they told me I wasn't as competitive as I could be, you know, that that was discouraging as well. So that in addition, in addition to um, not getting the letter of recommendation support I needed, I was discouraged for sure. But mm. I was determined to try to make it work. So, you know, I applied many schools I couldn't apply to because by the time I got my MCAT score back it was October. And if you know the timeline when it comes to like, in applications for med school that 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 portal that website opens up uh i think like june or, or early summer it's like oh yeah it's like, it's like may or something isn't it may? uh it's early man it's, I, I should notice we do we do a boot camp every year to get people ready for application but yeah it's, it's, way, it's, may, it's like may june something like that yeah yeah and you know in my head i was like you know actually before coming out of high school i wanted to go to i kept telling myself i wanted to go to duke for med school or University of Maryland for, for med school. I kept telling myself that this is a thing, like that's where I wanted to be, that's where I'm gonna be. Um, and Duke was primarily because of the basketball team. I wanted to be here on Duke's campus. Not yeah. because of anything about the med school. I didn't know anything about the med school, but I wanted to be here 
uh, for basketball. Man, are you are you me? Are you me, man? I'm trying, I'm trying to say when I was since I was a kid, I wanted to go to Duke, man. Yeah. I, I, was, I wanted to I wanted to play ball for Duke. That was my thing. I'm gonna play. I wanted to play ball for either Duke or UT. I didn't play ball for anything. I didn't play college ball. But uh-huh. that was my thing since I was a kid. It was all about Duke, man. Duke, Duke, Duke. Yeah. Love me some Duke. Absolutely, absolutely. And uh, you know, uh, I couldn't even apply to Duke because of how late my application was being put in. Like, let me ask you this question: Did you get uh-huh. that Duke tips deal when you were a kid? Duke, Duke tips. tips. No, I haven't heard yeah. of that. Okay, there's some program called Duke Tips where like um, kids get enrolled in the program that you can take like the SAT. I took the SAT in like seventh grade or whatever. Yes. Which is Duke Tips. So that's what that's what you know drew me to Duke. You know, early that was that Duke Tips program. And I see a lot of other kids get that same draw to Duke because of that program. Also, I was thinking maybe you had that same experience. I see. I see. Now that you mentioned, I've heard about it since my time here. But when I was back in grade school, I didn't hear about it. Um, I didn't know about it. But yeah, so I couldn't even apply to Duke. Couldn't, I applied to the University of Maryland, uh, got waitlisted, um, which is ironic. I'll talk about that later why. Um, but yeah, I ended up applying to you know, many schools, uh, Meharry and Howard being one of them. And I, those were my first two interviews. I also got waitlisted at Morehouse. And I went to Howard, it was my first interview, and I fell in love. You know, the family environment, I, you know, I felt like it was a place I could be comfortable. It was, it was, it was further away from home. My, I was taking incremental steps further away from home, just to just to make sure the parents could pop up on me. I wanted my own independence. Man, you you're about to be Asian next year, man. I know, <laughs> I know. Um, yeah, so so you know, I had a good experience there. Fast forward, I got accepted. I still went on a couple other interviews, but I was like, you know, how is the place I got to be? Like, it just makes sense. And I didn't have the University of Maryland as an option, so that was it. That's where I ended up. Um, all right, so I'm gonna have two questions. Let, 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 before, before I ask my other question, I want to hear the waitlist thing. You said you talked about it. What, what, what was the waitlist reason for um, Maryland? So they waitlisted me from what I can remember because they said that my one of my transcripts, I don't know, they had an issue with one of my transcripts because I took some classes at the community college. Um, I took my physics two. Was it physics one? Yeah, I took physics two at a community college, um, but that was only that was the only class I took just because I, yeah I was trying to catch up on this timeline. I had to take a summer course to and that was my own research just to make sure I could do things on time. And I knew I needed it for the MCAT. So I took physics two while studying for the MCAT. I mean it was it was a grind. It was a crazy summer. <laughs> now I'm looking back at it, I'm just having some some feels. But yeah, so they told me my transcript. There was an issue with whether or not they could, they could accept the the credit, which I had never heard of because you know I thought it was all it was all you know relatively the same no matter where you took it but again kind of looking at it now from a different perspective a different lens I sat on the committee at Howard the missions committee and I saw the way some of the the older heads would say you know all this class was taken at the community college expedited course over some weeks it wasn't really the full rigor um you know I don't know if we can really say that this this B in this class is equivalent to somebody's A that took it on campus like for the whole course of the semester. So I thought, I think that was part of it, um, but ended up not getting it. Well, I had already decided I was going to Howard at, at that point, but I don't think I ended up ever getting an interview there. And if I did, I really didn't, I didn't think about it. Uh, but that, right. that uh-huh. right, so, um, so I wanna know, so going from a PWI to uh, HBCU, um, what was that like a predominantly white institution? 
to a historically black college university. What was that like? Um, do you think there were any benefits to your academic development? Yes, no, does it matter? These are questions that you know come up. Yeah, I think it was honestly the best decision I could have made in terms of my career development and also personal development. Um, I think med school is a place, no matter where you go, it's gonna be very difficult. It's gonna be probably the most rigorous education that you, you know, take upon yourself. And the one thing that, and it's standardized in many senses of the word, like you have to take some same board exams, you have to do the same clinical rotations, you have to go through some of the things that just the same, no matter where you go from med school. I think the one difference, the, the main variable between med schools is how supported you feel as an individual, and even more mm -hmm. so as an underrepresented minority, as a URM. So for me, uh, I was really trying to find a place that I was gonna be support, supported and feel comfortable. Um, and, and Howard, you know, I feel, like, I feel like going to any HBCU, you're gonna feel that just from having a bunch of people around you that look like you. And Howard was a place where it was taught to me, like I had tour guides and, and you know, current students that talked to me excuse me, as a pre-med, and they told me that there's this thing called uh, gunnerism, gunners in med school where people try to put down others and and not and not really, you know, see each other succeed because they see their classmates as competition. They're like, here at Howard, we don't do that. We're a family, you know, we uplift each other. Uh, you was know. that true or no? By the time we got there, was that true or no? Oh, it was very true. It was very true, 100% true. Again, I only have one, one window of experience. I don't know what other med schools look like, in terms of that culture, but I know at Howard, I didn't experience it. There were like, there's always one or two gunners, obviously in the class of 120 we had, but they'd be off in the corner themselves and studying, you know, doing whatever they do. Um, but the majority, I mean, it was really a big family. Everybody looked out for each other. We, we shared old exams, we shared resources. We, we made sure everybody had, um, you know, what they needed to succeed. If you didn't succeed at Howard, it was, it was likely because of your own, like, separate yourself from the from the bunch the big family that it was that's good to hear so i know we're gonna we're gonna have to hustle through here i'm getting to getting to this time point i know i i, got, I gotta do better my i gotta do better i, I go i go too long on stuff i just like talking um okay. but all right so then the fast forward you end up going choosing duke you're duke for residency um i know what that's like other people don't know what that's like but whatever they're gonna have to hear about hear about that later on but i want to hear the cardiology part what led you to choose cardiology and you know, I feel like a lot of black men go to sexual medicine wants to do cardiology. So I went to Duke because I wanted to do cardiology. That's why I went there. Mm -hmm. um, I feel like a lot of people, black men for whatever reason, want to do cardiology. And I used to feel like a lot of black women want to do OB. Um, I don't know if that's still the case or not, but I'll tell you, my wife, when she was coming there, I feel like all of her black friends wanted to be, you know, um, obstetricians, gynecologists. Mm -hmm. um, so what led you to this cardiology field? Yeah, so that's a great question. Actually, it started at Howard. I felt like cardiology was where I found my strong suit in terms of the preclinical years in the classroom. I was able to relate, you know, my understanding of physics to like the, the fluid mechanics, the pathophysiology and everything. It just made sense to me, it clicked in terms of the books. Then I did a cardiology elective my, my senior year, uh, rotated through the CCU and the cardiology console service. I saw the cardiologist as like, I'll never forget, there was one prominent black man at Howard can't remember his name, Ghanaian guy actually, um, Poku, Dr. Poku. But the way this man carried himself, super smart, super sharp, just always up to date with clinical studies and provided all this evidence behind his decisions and taught in a way that, you know, he had patience and grace and really laid things out like to explain what 
the residents and fellows were doing on the services I was rotating on them with. And I just, I was like, I want to be him one day. I want to be, I saw him as like the boss, like, like people just looked at him with respect. And I was like, you know, I love cardiology, at least from what I've seen so far, I've seen how this guy is. So for me, it was more so the figure I had to look up to. And I was like, I want to pursue this potentially. I was still open to look at other things, but I was like, this is where I know, you know, I want to, I want to potentially, you know, look into. So I, I going through the residency trail, looking for places that were going to set me up to have good cardiology exposure, um, but also give me a well-rounded clinical experience in other aspects of medicine too. And do- so it goes back to that whole idea of seeing, um, being able to see it, right? See yourself in that light. You know, everybody else talks about can't be what you can't see. It goes back to that idea. If you saw somebody and say, hey, yo, I can be that guy. Exactly. Exactly. That's why, you know, it's so important in terms of the display representation in these fields so that folks in the pipeline, the younger kids can see, you know, themselves in, in us. Um, but yeah, man, I went through the trail, but also again, coming from Howard, I had a flipped uh, reality of what the real world of medicine looked like. Look to the left, look to the right. Everybody looked like me at Howard. Um, but in medicine, it's not like that at all. So I was still trying to hold on to that and find a place that really valued and embodied diversity and that had a good number of URM trainees and faculty and staff. There's two places I saw that had it. And one place, which is where you are now, I should have at least gave him a chance for an interview. I declined the interview because I was like, Dallas is too far for me. UC Shout Southwestern. out to UC Southwestern Medical Center, man. UC Southwestern, come visit. Y'all come visit UC Southwestern. Shout out to Southwestern, man. Greatest city in America, greatest residence, greatest program in America, Southwestern. Sorry, I had to take the opportunity, man. Because, because I'm Southwestern affiliated, I try not to talk about it too much, right? Because I, you know, conflict of interest stuff, but you brought it up. Shout out to UC Southwestern. <laughs> Definitely opened up that can of worms, but it's, it's a good one. Honestly, UT Southwest is doing some amazing things. And, 100%, um, 100%. And I wish I just at least went to interview there. Um, but I was like, Dallas is too far from home. My family's in DMV. I still need that ability to go home and hang out with my friends and family when I, when I want to without looking for crazy flight or long drive. So the two places I actually interviewed at and saw that diversity I was looking for was Wash U and St. Louis. They do a great job. Um, and then Duke. And then... At that point, it just came to, you know, quality of, of living. And I thought Durham was the place I was going to be. Access to Raleigh, Charlotte, airport, just 20 minutes. <laughs> man. Oh, I, it was a good I'm trying to tell you, man, I'd be feeling like you or me for real, man. Because those <laughs> are all, so those are all the places that, um, so for me, the next one for fellowship, when I was looking at fellowship, I was only looking at three places. Only, only, only three places I was going to go to. It was either I was going to stay at Duke, I was going to go to Wash U, I was coming to UT Southwest, and those, that was it, right? Okay. And for mine, a lot of it was because of family, because um, my wife's from St. Louis area, so that's Washu, and um, my siblings were moving to Dallas. That's where here. But I came down to Southwest, I interviewed, and I just remember thinking, man, these are the smartest doctors I've ever seen um, yeah. for my poem, Crip Fellowship. So that's why I ended up here at, um, at, at UC Southwestern. But those, those, those were my, that was my same three right there. That was it. It was those three. Yep, yep, yep. And, and you know, I think it's it's not even like this is something we didn't talk about before this, you know what I'm saying? That's how you know the longevity of these programs and, and really fostering that that environment for URMs to succeed and have a presence. So Duke did an excellent job in displaying that mm-hmm. to me. I already knew some folks here from SMMA coming up. So you know, shout out to Tamara, Shante. They really gave me some insight um, into their experience at Duke. And I just knew this is where I had to be. There was no question about it. Um, I knew I was going to succeed here as a black man in medicine. So I, I, you know, I'm very thankful every day to Dr. Zoss for giving me a Amy shot. Zoss, shout out to Amy Zoss. Shout out to Amy, Amy Zoss. Zoss. Amy Zoss, Dr. Zipkin, Dr. Butterly, 
um, you know, all the APDs for really, you know, giving a chance to allow me to come here and grow as a physician, as a clinician. And they poured Dr. so much. Dr. was, um, I interviewed with him when I interviewed there. He went to, um, so I went to University of Missouri for undergrad and med school and Butterly went there for, I don't know if he went for undergrad and med school, but we had that connection also. So we both, both of us were in Mizzou also. Oh, nice. Zipkin was Zipkin was my clinic person was uh, one of the DOC my preceptors of the DOC. Yeah, um, she's, still, she's still there. there. She's still there. Actually, she's one of my, she's my advisor, my direct one on one advisor throughout my time here. So she's the hugest advocate for me and really put me on to a lot of opportunities and and you know thankful for her every day as well because she 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 keeps it keeps it real with me and helps me kind of navigate through through hurdles of residency that there are. Also linked up with some uh, black cardiologists here, black men, Dr. Thomas and Dr. Jackson. They put me on the game. Yeah. yeah. Yep. Yep. Uh, got me in this research group and really kind of have uh, been, you know, mentors and good prominent figures in my time here as well. Uh, but yeah, going through the clinical stuff, uh, we get you came to do. We get flooded with cardiology early on intern year, uh, and at that point, you either love or hate it. Uh, after my time to see you, I was like, oh man, I don't know if this is for me. Like, this is rough. You know, this is cardiology. I'm good. I took a step back and really looked at other things. But I've talked to some of my other big brothers here, like Sipa, Francis, Cherry, who's also at Penn now. They're like, the CCU is not cardiology. Like, there's so much outside of the CCU that is cardiology. So I kept my eyes open. And again, I still explored other things, but I was able to rule out stuff. And I was thinking Palm Crit for a while, actually, because I enjoyed my time in the MICU and the critical care environment in general. Um, but the pulmonology side of it, man, I, I, I salute you for it. I tell you, palm, palm, palm becomes a whole lot more fun. People go into it because they want to do crit care, but palm becomes so much more fun, man, on the really? side of it. Yeah, it's hard. Palm is super hard, man, but yeah. uh, it becomes so much fun. Physiology has always tripped me up since med school, so the uh, palm physiology, that is. So I just was like, you know, I can't, I can't do it. Um, but yeah, man, stuck with it. I was like, okay, I'm going to pursue cardiology, did what I had to do here, kind of Again, got some good mentorship. Uh, went through the process uh, last fall, interview process. And that's when imposter syndrome starts hitting. I'm like, yo. Um, I tell you, imposter syndrome comes up on every episode, man. Almost, imposter syndrome always comes up. You can't run away from that. Oh, you can't. You can't. It's inevitable, I think, uh, as a URM trainee or any anybody pursuing medicine in general, no matter what part of the path you're at. But mm-hmm. I came out of Duke, coming out, mind you, with there's 200 black men here. Uh, Krista Suzu, Lonnie Sullivan, and on top of that, it's three of us black men pursuing cardiology in the same class. And then there's like, I don't know, I think there was like six or seven others in total applying together for cardiology coming out of Duke. And it wasn't until I get closer and closer to the application process, I realized like we're all applying to the same places, looking for the same spots. <laughs> what you know? So I'm like, oh man. And I think very highly of my colleagues, you know, Chris and Lonnie, also other black men, I'm like sitting at that seat, these places, they're probably looking like, well, these two black guys are probably more competitive. They look way better on paper. Let's give them the interview spots. And, you know, let's, let's you know, look at Marius if, if, if we need to fill another spot for, for a, a URM. Yeah, up imposter syndrome. Yeah. And I was sitting here worried, you know, going through this process, like, because I also wasn't getting, I wanted to interview at UT Southwestern bad. Actually, UT Southwestern was one of my number one choices going into the process. They waitlisted me. And I'm like, dang, I'm talking to Lonnie and Chris. They got those, they got interviews there. I'm like, oh, there it is. It's happening. <laughs> I'm not going to get these spots because I have colleagues that just, and mind you, I don't know what they, I don't know exactly what they did 
coming up, you know, and, and what they've done during the time of residency, aside from the, the superficial things that we talk about. But I'm just like, they probably have way more research than me. You know, they probably have better less recommendation, just more good clinical, you know, support. And and it was it was funny because again, this is why I said I bring this back up, the irony of it, I applied to University of Maryland as well. Um, and not because I really wanted to go there, but I was trying to do like a tier system, like have some reach programs, safety programs, and some that were kind of in the middle. University of Maryland, me thinking coming from Duke was gonna be a safety one. Like, like they got everybody. I'm from Maryland, got my home address, like my permanent address in Maryland, like they got to. I got rejected. <laughs> they, they denied me. Slap in the like, face. Oh. Slap in the face. I was like, oh man, what's going on? Um, so at that point, I'm like, this is not gonna work out. You know, I'm not going to match. This is embarrassing. Um, I already started thinking about like looking at hospitals gigs. Like, what am I going to do? What am I going to do? Um, talk to my talk to Dr. Zoss about it. Some of my mentors, and they actually thought, you know, because I had I had also been getting interviews at some really good places, like really good places. Um, uh, and there's they had said that they thought in in fellowship because it's so much more intimate and 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 they have less spots to offer folks. They probably thought that if they had offered me an interview there, that I wouldn't, I wasn't really trying to come there in the first place. It was yep. just something. I, I, I remember hearing that same stuff, yep. Yeah, and I was like, oh, you're just saying that to pacify me. Like, it's okay. You don't got to patronize me in this situation. But, you know, at the end of the day, I don't know what the real reason was, but they said if I had sent them an email, then maybe they would still offer open up an interview for me. But I knew I didn't really want to go there, and my pride was shot. And I had also been getting some whole other interviews that were like, again, uh, light years beyond it. So I was just like, let me just be humble and go where where I'm wanted, or at least they don't, you know, they're playing that game, if that is what's happening. So I'll say, you know, uh, interview as a program in Houston, Columbia, uh, in New York, um, Penn, Northwestern. I was between Northwestern and Penn, actually, as my, as my top places. And Northwestern more so again, because I saw a prominent black figure there, Dr. Yancey. Uh, Yancey. Yep. Yeah, spoke with him one-on-one. -on -one. Oh. You know Yancey was a Southwestern before that, right? Yancey's I know, I know, yeah. I know. Shout out to Yancey Southwestern, hey, you brought it up. <laughs> I throw it in there as much as possible. It was yeah. crazy is I interviewed at Ohio State for, for Capers. Capers. And then while I was interviewing, they tell me he's moving to UT Southwestern. I'm yeah, like, shout out to hey, 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 you brought it up, man. You brought it up. Quinn Capers is UT Southwestern. Shout out to UT Southwestern, man. You brought like, it up. I'm like, <laughs> it's meant to be like UT Southwestern, give me a shot. <laughs> but at the end, at the end of the day, I think it was a blessing in disguise because it took my vision away from where I could have potentially been. And I had alternate reasons also for trying to be in that area, the southwest, southwestern part of the, the country, but Penn was all, always something that I had sent out by mouth to my mentor in June of 2019, my research mentor, that I wanted to be at Penn. That's where, where I really wanted to be for, for a fellowship um, because it's close to home, a good clinical training, great heart failure program. I'm trying to do heart failure and, and heart transplant um, in terms of uh, cardiology. So I was like, they give me everything I need. And also they have all these diversity initiatives, again, which is important for me, diversity and inclusion. Uh, recruitment of us, but also retention of us to help us succeed down as junior faculty and kind of do well um, later on down the path. I was like, Penn will give me all that. But again, UT Southwestern was still high on the rate. I'm gonna shout y'all out again. I was like, <laughs> I gotta, for me, it was UT Southwestern, Northwestern, or Penn. And, and you know, I love my time at Northwestern, but Penn blew me away, man. Dr. Silvestri, the program director, again, we had 
again, looking at somebody that you see that you can envision yourself being in their shoes one day, for me, it was mm-hmm. uh, Cherry. Shout out to Godfrey Cherry. He's a, he was a senior here when I was a junior. He was one year ahead of me. He's also, he's a first year fellow now at Penn. And he's, and he's loving his time there. He feels very well supported. Um, he feels like they're doing everything um, they need to do. They go above and beyond to really make sure that, that, that folks know that diversity includes and supports them and that they set you up for success. Um, no matter your creed, your race, uh, your beliefs, whoever you are, you, you will go there and come out successful. Um, so it, was, it wasn't it wasn't even a question. Like that's where I knew I had to be. Um, Northwestern was a close number two, but you know I was like, hey, and I, I poured my energy there. And the program director, you know, again, he just he was an amazing gentleman. Um, really showed investment in, in fellows' success and the careers, and he personally outlined the path for everybody in terms of like what you do from day one, step foot at Penn, to you know, ultimately down the road, uh, graduate from the core cardiology uh, fellowship. I was like, no question, I gotta be there. And uh, Dr. Julian Howard, again, another black man in a white coat. He's somebody that came on to Penn as faculty. Um, and he was behind the scenes, just just talking to me, you know, very frequently um, telling me, you know, this is this is something that if, if you know you are able to get what you need out of this program, I'll make sure that you that you have the tools that you need to be successful. Um, so almost like that extra guarantee. And mind you, this isn't like the advisors back in undergrad where I'm pouring everything, expecting them to hold my hand and walk their steps for me. So do my own research and kind of validate these things. But, uh, you know, he he was really the factor, I think, that put the icing on top, knowing that he was there uh, as, a, as a black man and would be looking out for me during my time there and be able to, you know, cultivate me uh, throughout my, 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 my career and training. I was like, this is where I had to be. So I put all my eggs in the basket, put the envelope in, and uh, it worked out. You know, I'm, I'm very thankful. It's a strong uh, program, man. Yeah. Strong program. All right, we'll, we'll bring this thing home, wrap it up. But I do, you know, thinking about the last thing you just said just now, that goes to show you why it's important to have, um, you know, it's, it's, it can be challenging to be successful if there are not people around you that you feel have your interests in mind. Um, and that's not to say, like I say it all the time, right? I say it all the time. Some of my greatest mentors are, are white men, right? Um, your mentor does not have to look like you, right? So I say it all the time, easily some of my greatest mentors are white men. Um, and they look out for me better than, you know, you know they, they look out for me. Uh, but if you're in a situation where you feel as though you don't have that people looking out for you, it's tough, right? So in your situation you're talking about right now, you saw a black man, he came, he said, hey, I'm going to look out for you. That's that's making all the difference for you. So, so I appreciate that. I, I feel that. Hey, before we hop off, I need you to do three things for me. First, first one is, what would you tell yourself back in, uh, let's say, high school and before? What would you tell your high school, your high school self? What advice? I would tell my high school self that, you know, one, patience is a virtue. It's a long road, uh, but it's all going to work out. Like, if you stay on the path and really focus and put the work in, you're going to get the results and reap benefits like a thousandfold. Um, you don't know yeah. that you don't know that at that point in your life, but looking back, I can say that to my high school self. Like just just stick with it. Everything's gonna be all right. And what about your college self? College self. Uh, I probably say, you know, you can't have success without failure. Again, that was the first point at which I, I failed anything. Got a D on exam, got a C in the class. Like that's gonna happen. You're gonna have road bumps and failures along the way. Um, but you need that to appreciate the successes and keep you hungry. You need low points. If you stay high, you don't have any any 
clarity to what you're doing. You don't have any what ifs, what what does failure feel like? You need to know what that feels like, I think, to, to stay hungry on your path. So I would tell my college self, like, don't be scared of failure. I'll try to avoid it, but at the same time, <laughs> expect it to happen and, and you got to be ready to bounce back. All right, med school, med school self. Let's be the last one. Med school self, I would say it's crazy because it's almost like, uh, I don't know if you've heard this, this uh, analogy or this sentiment that when you're at your later part of life and your elderly stages, you kind of become more um, how you were in, early on as a baby, as in your primitive stages, like you start becoming more dependent and, 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 and needy. And, and uh, I think, you know, that I will use that to relate to me in med school versus me looking at how I am in, uh, in or how I was in, in my advice in terms of high school. I would say same advice, same advice. It's all going to work out. Like stay along the path because in med school you get tired you know you're at the mm-hmm. point where you're, you're taking exams every two weeks and you know you're, you're absorbing all this information at a rate that you never thought you could um and you just wonder is it all worth it there's a point where everybody reflects and you wonder if it's worth it <laughs> yep. I, I, but i think you know just reinforcing that advice i would give my high school self um and say that you know it's all going to be worth it it's all going to be worth the, the grind at the end of the day because um, in med school, there's no way I, I, I didn't envision that I'd be here today doing what I'm doing and, and the trajectory I'm on. Like I knew it's what I wanted, but I couldn't I couldn't envision it. It just seemed like it was so far away. Uh, but you stay you stay busy. And if you're grinding, and you're hungry again for the right reasons. You blink and like time's flown. You're, you're done. I, I still remember my first day of med school in the classroom and say it out loud. That's that's seven years ago, which is crazy to hear. But. It's reality. Seven years has flown by like that. It's I'm gonna tell you, you're gonna keep on. You're gonna, you're gonna keep on remembering. So I remember mine. I remember my first day in my problem-based learning class too. Mine was uh, I don't know. Mine was uh, 15 years ago now or something. So you're gonna you're gonna keep on remembering that day. It's gonna, it's gonna go by fast. It's gonna feel faster. Yeah, yeah. It's wild. It's wild. So just stay hungry. That's that's it, to wrap that up. I would say stay hungry and and know that you know it pays off. It pays off. All right, man, my guy, Dr. Mario Shakura, thank you so much for joining us on Black Men in White Coats. Appreciate it, man. It's been a long time coming. Again, I apologize for, for uh, making delaying and wasting your time a few weeks. But I appreciate you. Oh, it's all good, man. I definitely understand. Never a waste of time, for sure. Yeah, we got to keep on working hard. Got to get you down here to Dallas, man. Got to get you recruited down hey, here to Dallas one of these days. One day, Faculty. man. One day. There you go. There. Right, to, to, the, to the listeners, I appreciate you guys for listening. Um, Few reminders, diversitymedicine.com. You can go on there and find yourself a mentor. So I'm going to ask Dr. Mario Shakura right now to create a diversitymedicine.com account. So decide to be a mentor. So one of you guys can go on there, connect with a mentor. Um, for pre-meds, premedmondays.com. Check it out. Um, Black Men and White Coast Youth Summit. You guys, I'm going to put the link somewhere in the description. Sign up today because we're about to close that down completely. Hill Harper is going to be the keynote speaker. We've got Dr. Clarence Lee. Um, we've got a whole lot of people. It's going to be a great time there. Uh, what else I got for you? The documentary, bmwcmovie.com. Yeah. Go check out the documentary. I know Duke's hosting the screening, right? Tomorrow. Tomorrow we're hosting our screening. Um, okay, perfect. It's going to be big. We have over 100 people that signed out, signed up, and it's between Duke, UNC, and Wake. Uh, they're trying to medicine residency programs. And I actually just put it out to a minority house staff association to have other people outside of the trauma medicine view in, tap in. And people are RSVPing to have discussion with you after the viewer. So I think it's going to be it's going to be very dope. I'm looking forward to it. Everybody's very excited. Yeah, definitely looking forward to coming back and joining y'all virtually. And uh, 
seeing uh, some of some of the old folks back there too. Um, but yeah, definitely bmwcmovie.com. Check it out. We've got screenings, man. We've got hundreds of screenings lined up across the country. So majority of med schools are screening this stuff, and we got libraries, high school, all sorts of stuff. So we're super excited. Make sure you guys share the documentary. Tell as many people we need everybody to help. It's got to be a grassroots effort, right? We don't have Hollywood money, so we need you guys to get the word out first. All right, Black Men and White Coast. Love you guys. See you next time. Hey, man. Appreciate you. I was trying to stop the recording first, but I don't know how to stop the recording on myself. Huh. Man, so whatever. I just, I just cut it off later on. But hey, I appreciate you, man. Um, no so doubt. I'm going to work on, try to edit this and probably get it up tomorrow or, or Tuesday. It depends on how much sleep I get tonight, but... Yeah, I appreciate you, man. Really appreciate you. Of course, no doubt, man. I don't know if you're watching the Super Bowl. My bad. I didn't realize that I, I suggest the Super Bowl. Uh, nah, nah, I don't care. I don't do that stuff. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna go put it on TV. But I'm about to just get back on the ground right now. Is what's about to happen. That's, That's all it is. Yeah. All right, man. Appreciate you. So I'll get it up there, and um, I'll shoot you a message. Let you know what's up there. No doubt. Appreciate you, bro. All right. Take care. All right. Peace. Ooh. I want them bad like a die, yeah. Oh, let do it like flagger, yeah. I'm kicking flame with no saga, yeah. Life is like a blessing, everything a win, loss is like a lesson Ooh, ooh, yeah, ain't no time for stressing, I've been really stepping Ooh, ooh, yeah, if you wanna go get it, stop playing around